Hello, and welcome back to the Point Left podcast with your hosts, Skylar and Kaylin. Yay. Um, summer is in like full force, full force. Um, it is in the hundreds. It is in the 90s, in the hundreds, every single day. In this Sorry, apartment. I feel like such an old, like, <laughs> I, 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 oh, I sometimes I really hate being an adult because I'm like, I wish I had better conversation starters. Like the other day I was, well, first let me get into it. So I have a pool at my apartment um, and it's one of those things where I feel like people, I feel like people tell you when you move somewhere that's like warm year round um, that like having a pool at your apartment really doesn't matter that much because you're not going to use it as much as you think you will, which has been true, which has been true for me until now. I finally got a pool float and I got one. Yeah. And I got one of the like nice ones. It was only 24 bucks. It was 24 bucks at Target. And I got one of the nice ones that like you lounge in. It has a cup holder. It is a headrest. And like half of your body, it, the bottom is like a net. So like half of your um, body is like underwater, but like the rest isn't. Oh my God. Best purchase of 2023. Like it has literally changed my life. Yesterday I spent probably like four hours out in the pool Uh-oh. just like lounging i had my headphones in i was reading in the pool <laughs> and it's so nice because it's so, it's like too hot to lay out right yeah but it's the perfect temperature to be laying in like a cold pool while the sun it's i'm just so nervous so especially nice. like sharing a pool that the second i get out there with like my nice little float some like 50 little kids are like cannibal fight and then they like try to and then it's like awkward because they're looking at me like I'm intruding on their pool mm-hmm. space where it's like, hey, bud, we only got like maybe 30 feet. Mm-hmm. I'm like moving around like this, probably making the audio shitty. <laughs> I'm like buoyant. And they're all looking at me like you're ruining our fun summer playtime. And I'm like, dog, I can't go further out in the adult section. So that did kind of happen, except yeah. um, because we do. There's a lot of families that like live at our apartment complex, which um, kind of sucks. I. So I don't hate children. <laughs> no, I, re- I really don't. Um, but are they, I mean, they can be annoying sometimes. Like, let's be honest. And every single dang during the summer. Every single dang day. Dang day. Every single dang day during the summer, they will go outside in the pool. It feels like hundreds of them. It's probably only like two, five. No, like it's still a lot. It's like Five to like ten, I would say, mm-hmm. at a time. To, well, maybe that's dramatic. Like, like ten, three to maybe seven. that's dramatic. Five to ten. Yeah, like three <laughs> to seven. Um, and I don't know if you uh, hear like young children playing. They <coughs> yeah, blood curdling screams. Like every, it literally sounds like someone is being like actively kidnapped and tortured outside. And they're just playing in the pool. They're just splashing each other, and they're like, <coughs> like it's. it's <laughs> Like, am I about to be a victim of the bystander complex right now? <laughs> Literally. Um, and so, so like, they are in the pool a lot, but I figured out their timeline. Um, I think... <laughs> I've been peeking through my blinders and writing down their schedules on a piece of notebook paper, and I figured them out. Well, they're not in, they're not out there in the morning. I think it's, uh, like, probably, you know, obviously a lot of their parents work. And when you're a young kid, you can't just, like, be in the pool unsupervised. That's um, where so, the drowning happens. Yes. So I think they have to wait until their parents get home from work or whatever. So usually they're not out there until, like, the earliest, like, 3 p.m. Mm. So I have that entire morning to myself. But actually the other day, I, like...
like I had just bought the pool float like I literally just got to Target and bought the pool float and I wanted to go out in the pool so bad but the kids were already out there and it was annoying because when I left for Target they weren't and I was like yes yes like it's time and then when I got back they were um but I conquered my fears and I was like no this is like I paid for this yeah like I also pay for this apartment like it's a shared communal thing like it's not weird if you, if you, you know, go out into this pool, like it's fine. So I, I did it. I went out with my little pool flow. I was like, hi. And I just walked past them and I just like hung out in the deep end and they were like in the shallow end and it was fine. And they weren't like splashing too, too much. Um, yeah. But the other day I just, ugh, I had the whole morning to myself and it was so nice. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's my, um, update on how I'm spending my summer days. I just like, uh, I love summer so much. I love the heat. I love the sun, like yeah. the sun and just being outside when it's warm out. Ugh, it just like solves all of my life problems. I swear. Oh, what oh. the fuck? There we go. Damn. I wish I could Sizzle. share your enthusiasm. Um, I, I swelter and I melt, but there are times when like suddenly the weather turns like a, like a good crisp sunset 70 where I'm like, this is it. This is the mm-hmm. life, brothers. The second it hits that, like, 9,200, I'm like, huh, goodbye. 200. It feels like 200. I'm being a little dramatic. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, we're in the valley, so it's, like, when it's 100 degrees here, it's, like, 70 degrees at the beach. Mm. So you have to wait until it gets, like, hot <laughs> to, like, actually go to the beach, especially because um, the Pacific is, like, cold. The Pacific? I said Pacific. I know you said Pacific. <laughs> I'm gaslighting you actively. <laughs> Like, no, wait, run it back. Wait, no, no. Oh my god, do you and I found out? Sorry, this is we're never gonna get started. No, (laughs) and another thing, this is so unrelated. I did not realize. Have you watched Justin Bieber's baby music video recently? It's at City Walk, yes, it's completely filmed. And you know why? At the Holly at the Universal Studios Hollywood City Walk, I saw that tweet and I was like, dude, no way. And I'm looking into it and I'm talking with with Hannah, who was a believer, um, in her youth and Uh also now. Just kidding. Maybe. Um, and she was like, yeah, it's because, because um, I just thought like it's because they had no faith in poor Justin that they were just like, take this kid, film him in um, an outdoor mall space mm-hmm. and we'll just whatever. But not only that, I thought it was just like some random like gorilla filming. Mm-hmm. No. Universal music. So they're like, yeah. let's b- film this for like, like a tax write off. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how I found out? I was watching... Do you watch Eddie Burback on yes. YouTube? I was watching his Margaritaville. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I was watching the Margaritaville thing. And there's a Margaritaville at... Um, the, if, if you don't know, he um, he previously had made like an hour-long YouTube video um, with his friend Ted, I think mm-hmm. is his name. Uh, Ted Nimison. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The, the, it's like an hour-long video of them going to every single rainforest cafe in the country and Canada. And they do like this entire road trip for like three weeks. And it's it's hilarious. It's a great video. But anyway, they did the same thing for Margaritaville. <laughs> um, drink of the day. Target, Good and Gather. Ginger peach sparkling water. I'm back on my sparkling water bullshit. Drink um, of the day. Uh, leftover Taco Bell <laughs> mango iced tea. <laughs> Is it good? It look it looks like piss, but it tastes pretty good. Mm. Oh my god, do you, I I'm not like a sweet tea person, but the other day I had a sweet tea. Um and I think it was at someone's house and I'm it 
literally tasted like the crystal light like sweet tea packets oh. and i think it might have been but i was like wait this is, this is delicious <laughs> so now i might go out and buy some um crystal light sweet tea packets crystal meth crystal yeah i <laughs> i might just try and dabble in crystal meth you know i don't know I'm, what think, a scandal I'm, I'm thinking of starting something new an outrage wait a minute that was not even on purpose <laughs> speaking of scandals um so today we thought it would be fun to kind of do a little journey through um a few of the like major historical celebrity scandals um so how do you want to do this do you want like i'll do one and you do one or yeah let's do that i think i think it was just because i was i was talking to kaylin and because you know like right now the big scandal of this week i guess i'm sure this will be old news by the time this comes out but that ariana grande Mm. is in the middle of a cheating scandal with um ethan slater which is Mm -hmm. so stupid these worlds should not collide i should not have to like suddenly you have ariana grande and you have my favorite performer from spongebob squarepants the musical and i'm like you two shouldn't be no and at first i was just so convinced that it was to drum up publicity for the Mm -hmm. wicked movie um, that they were trying to like astroturf a don't worry darling situation by being like, oh, you have to see the Wicked movie now. Like, there's some romance between the two leads. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know about all that. But then it got me thinking that like, celeb scandals now just don't have the same panache and like pizzazz of like celebrity scandals from like, not just old Hollywood, but like even to the 2000s, like mm-hmm. the 90s, 2000s. I feel like if you had like a good, juicy celeb scandal that would grace the pages of like tabloids for weeks and it would be all anyone ever talks about. And I feel like now celeb scandals are like less or like kind of boring. Mm-hmm. But like this isn't nothing. Like it's still like crazy that like one of the world's biggest pop stars is in like a little bit of hot water with like the timelines of how her marriage and a marriage of her co-star line up. Like this seems very old Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. But it just got me thinking that like, there, why aren't there any more of those? I think it's interesting and <laughs> bear with me for a moment because I swear <laughs> this is going somewhere. Um, but like obviously with old Hollywood and even like the early 2000s, like people weren't quite a... Ugh. I fucking hate this word, but, like, for lack of a better term, like, woke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, as as today, like, I think maybe, maybe not as, like, sensitive to the nuances of, like, certain situations. Like, mental illness and drug abuse and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think people are much more, like, sensitive to the nuances of those situations now. Whereas, like, previously, it's, like, someone was caught with cocaine and it was, like... <gasps> Oh my god, can you believe this person is going completely off the rails? Everyone, like, point and laugh. Um, And now it's kind of like, oh, that's sad. Like, I hope they get help. Yeah. Like, like, it's it's much different, but I feel like specifically with the... How many times can I say specifically in this episode? Um, With the Ariana Grande situation, it feels more like a moral failing and maybe a, like, reflection onto who she is as a person and like obviously I don't fucking know Ariana Grande I don't know who she is Uh, as a person but but like all of the like criticisms that I've seen on the situation have like been analyzed through like like people have been looking back on her other past relationships and kind of like the messiness of those and the like situations that occurred then um and, and it feels like now there aren't maybe as many scandals because things that like would have been considered scandalous in the past, like aren't really not as big of a deal anymore, but like they aren't 
publicized in the same way. How Gen X and Gen Z treat like Amanda Bynes specifically yeah. is like the perfect example where like Amanda Bynes first going off the deep end, you have a lot of Gen Xers being like, oh my God, like she's pulling a Lindsay Lohan. She's, she needs to go to rehab. And now mm-hmm. like you talk to any like more like younger person seeing like a picture of Amanda Bynes and they're just like, that girl needs help. And I feel yeah. really, really bad for her. Mm-hmm. And like that, there's a, there's less of like a, like a schadenfreude of being like, look at them suffering. Like, I feel like our, uh, unless, like, again, the public deems you as some sort of moral failure, they they don't take as much glee in seeing you suffer as mm-hmm. much as I feel like in the past when, like, celebrities were, like, these very mysterious, over-the-top, like, figures that no one knew anything about. That you could be like, ooh, look. he. It's like they're fake people uh-huh. <laughs> having, having very scandalous problems. And I feel like now that we know our celebrities a lot more, there is more of, like, but the nuances, but she's struggling. Mm-hmm. Because she chronicled all of her struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to bring that all the way back. So this is like um, something that was a little bit of a scandal at the time and is now a big scandal, but it's fine because he's dead. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, huh? Which sucks. It's like, I hate saying this because I feel like Charlie Chaplin is just like the Mickey Mouse of like film buffs. Where it's like, there's Charlie. Like, he's, like, honestly more iconography than a person at this point. Kind of like a Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because, I mean, like, people do be just people at the end of the day. And Charlie Chaplin was a flawed individual. This was no exception. So Charlie Chaplin was married four times in total. Which already, at the time, they were like, e gads, four times. Hollywood mm-hmm. has sir got to you, old boy. In 1918, when he was 29, he married a 16-year-old teen named Mildred Harris. They were divorced by 1920. Then in 1924, um, he married 16-year-old Lita Gray, which again, only lasted three years. And like, coincidentally, these marriages lasted just long enough for them to become legal adults before the <laughs> divorce happened, which I'm sure was just like a terrible coincidence, which is why it happened twice in succession. Um, in 1936, he wed actress, so at least people knew who this one was, <laughs> Paulette Goddard, who was at least in her 20s. We don't actually know how old she is because typical of old Hollywood, if you wanted to be an actress, you had to change like your name, uh, your backstory, who wick, where you actually came from, your hair color, etc. So it's more than likely that she just kind of lied about how old she was, but at least in her 20s, given her face (laughs) and her mannerisms and like, you know, you can only go so much when, Uh you know, physical data can deteriorate and crumple. But at least in her 20s, he was in his 40s by this point. And then in 1943, when Chaplin was 53, he married an 18-year-old named Una O'Neill. Um, at least she's 18, everyone. We win. They stayed married until his death in 1977. You can be like, it was a different time. Yes, but also no. Like, it was normal for, I guess, like, poorer people to wed this way, where it's like, I need me a young wife to tend my farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was deemed odd enough that tabloids at the time commented on it saying like even you can be like it was a different time not different enough <laughs> that like tabloids were still like um shocking yeah young wife because i guess maybe it was because he was a big star and the like no one kind of knew who these girls were and that there were so many of them at the time so many this <laughs> four we'll get into what i consider to be a many as the scandals keep going they're like married four times you say to little girl nobodies, that Chaplin, what an odd fellow. And also, casually, he was just banned from the United States in 1952. <laughs> Wait, what? Not because Wait. of this, not I because of this, but because of, quote, communist leanings. Okay. So basically, he was just like, I think Hitler was bad. And they're like, are you, you pink? 
So he was banned from the United States in 1952 and then didn't return until 1972 to receive an honorary Oscar. And then he died in 1977. So like, um, hmm. Charlie Chaplin, Leonardo DiCaprio wants to be you so bad. (laughs) He just can't get there. Papa. Um, Did you read? I actually, um, one of the, I, to research for this episode or or to like figure out which scandals I wanted to do. I literally Googled like biggest celebrity scandals, 2000s, biggest celebrity scandals, like 70s or whatever. Um, And I think it was in the 80s um, where someone like thieves stole Charlie Chaplin's body like from the grave and then demanded ransom from Una demanded ransom to like get the body returned and i was a little like he's dead like why like does it matter if the body is in the ground the like, mustache is gone i know it's like it's just a skeleton it. at that point i don't know that just seems like a bad trade like i i, I get it <laughs> keep the body i'm like who cares you already had the funeral like you are you know like there's already been closure like right if now the Kaylin Nowak, if someone if, you, if someone close to you was dead and then their body was taken you'd be like you know what it's meat. It's fucking worm food. But it's like, that's not them. I don't know. Like, maybe that's just me. And, and, and yeah, you're you're right. Like, to be fair, I don't, I'm lucky enough that I don't have anyone like close to dead to me. Um, or having their bodies held for ransom. Yeah, or having their bodies held for ransom. I've not experienced that. Yet. Um, <laughs> I'm just putting curses on you. I know, but I, I was, I was reading it and I was a little like, what, how are you? I don't know. I, I didn't really understand. I was like. Okay. Like, she is, what, like, half her age, half his it. age. Maybe she doesn't have a fully developed lobe. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> okay. I am um, jumping forward in history, <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about Kim Kardashian's 72-day marriage. Uh, <gasps> gasp. Yeah, um, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. So... Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys, who was like an NBA player at the time. I don't know if he's still, probably not. Where is he now? Um, But they were very publicly married um, and their marriage only lasted 72 days. Technically, there's there's like some technicalities. We'll get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the couple was reportedly introduced by one of Humphrey's teammates in 2010. And after only six months of dating, the couple were engaged in May of 2011. Just three months later, Kim and Chris had their wedding, which was filmed and broadcasted on an e-special titled Kim's Fairytale Wedding. Um, so yeah, highly, highly publicized. Um, Chris was 26 at the time and Kim was 30, I believe. Um, and it's actually really interesting because I I was like reading some articles and she, she is like not super open about the situation, but like, I mean, her entire life is like very much in the public eye. So she has been kind of more open about the situation than Chris has. Um, but she said that the reason why she was like, willing to get married so quickly was because she was 30 and all of her friends and like family Mm. members were married and having kids and she was kind of like I feel like I have to you know like I feel like at this point in my life like that's the next step that I that I have to do and this is the guy I'm dating at the time so like why not Mm -hmm. um do you know how much this wedding cost oh god Uh, how much is like the economy of Greece 10 million (laughs) dollars Why are you 
gonna say. I'm gonna say thirteen million dollars. Thirteen million. Okay. Just because that was gonna be like the like fucking yeah. most outrageous. I was gonna say a billion dollars, but I'm like, eh, this economy, it's no. not it. Ten Inflation. Million dollars. Ten million dollars. Um, to be fair, that that is not actually how much was spent. That's just like the value of everything. Oh. Um, because the well, wedding was a TV special and it was Kim Kardashian, and I believe at this point she was like four years into keeping up with the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. Um, much of the cost of the wedding was gifted or like deeply discounted. Um, so they didn't actually spend that much. But that's how much everything was worth. Okay, who decides that? I decide that my wedding is worth $10 million. Well, they, like, broke down... There's actually an, an article. They, like, broke down the cost of everything that was there. Oh. Um, like, she was wearing, like, a Vera Wang gown, oh. which was $20,000. Um, oh, just kidding. She wore three different Vera Wang gowns during it. the course of the wedding, worth a total of 60000 Kardashian received the dresses for free. Um, $400,000 is the cost of the champagne that was served at the wedding, <laughs> provided for free. $10,000 cost of the invitations by custom designers, also comped. $750,000 cost of the food for the reception, including caviar, Kobe beef burgers, truffles, and cupcakes. $3 million is the value of the Kardashians' wedding bling, including oh $1 million nuptial bands and Kim's $2 million engagement ring, also deeply, or all deeply discounted by the designer, Lorraine Schwartz. So, like, they got most of everything, like, for free Isn't that discounted. fucking crazy that the richer you are, the more people will give you things for free? It makes me so mad. It, like, makes me so mad. So, anyway, so, that, so that's the wedding. They have this whole, like, whirlwind romance that is, like, also in the tabloids every single day. Um, and 72 days after tying the knot, and just a few weeks after the E! <gasps> special aired, Kim filed for divorce in October 2011. So the E! special aired early October. She filed for divorce. I believe it was like literally October 31st. Do you think she waited to like divorce him? And she's like, I have to, have to, I have to at least wait until the special comes out because otherwise I'm going to get sued. Yeah. Otherwise you're fucked. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, so at first, <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> so at first Humphreys was saying that he was trying to salvage the relationship. And there's a statement from him saying, I love my wife and I'm devastated to learn that she filed for divorce. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. I'm committed to this marriage and everything this covenant represents. However, a few weeks later, Humphreys was like, oh, you want a divorce? Fine. I want an annulment. God damn it, Henry VIII. (laughs) And in November of 2011, Humphreys filed for an annulment citing fraud Uh as the reason, claiming that Kim only married him for TV ratings. So what if that's true? Can you really say fraud? Yeah, he said that it was a fraud, like a fraudulent marriage and that she was only doing it for for TV ratings. Um, I don't know if that's what fraud means. So do you want to know the reason why they got a divorce or like the alleged reason? Obviously, no one knows like for sure. But like right. this, this is the um, perceived reason why Kim filed for divorce. I'm sad. Um, so obviously the couple was not getting along. <laughs> um. Perhaps in part to the 2011 NBA lockout, which is, this is actually quite timely um, given the current like WGA and SAG strikes. But in 2011, the NBA underwent a lockout, which is like, it's, it's basically a strike, but like kind of the opposite because it's the employers trying to gain leverage um, in Mm. an attempt to force unionized workers to accept new conditions and not like the other way around. 
Um, but anyway, during the NBA lockout, teams could not trade, sign, contact players, and players did not have access to team facilities, trainers, or staff. Oh. Um, it shifted the like start date of the NBA season, and I think they only played... I don't remember the exact number, but, like, let's say they were supposed to play, like, 23 games or whatever. They only ended up playing, like, 15. Um, So, all work had stopped on Chris Humphrey's end. Um, So, Kim, the get-your-ass-up-and-work queen... Oh, my God. ...had her reality show and multiple entrepreneurial ventures while Humphrey's was essentially unemployed. (laughs) And partying. um, Oh. While unemployed and with Kim's money. Um, So she was not happy. And um, although they filed for divorce in 2011, they were not legally divorced until 2013. Mm. During the time, Kim was already dating Kanye. So like she was still legally married while she started dating dating Kanye. And when the divorce finally like was finalized, she was already pregnant with North. Oh my fucking God. This is the timeline. Yeah. Um, So they finally reached an agreement April of 2013 and Humphreys finally dropped the annulment request and they finalized the divorce in June. Um, Also, this is just like a fun fact. Chris Humphreys is 6'9 and Kim Kardashian is 5'2. Uh, so I don't know how that that JPEG of that like hamster eating like a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that worked out. Um, yeah, but that was that was the wedding. Oh yeah, my that was god, the marriage. Wait, I have another. I, that's gonna lead so well into my scandal. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay, take it away. I want to talk about Elizabeth Taylor's love life. So I knew yes. I knew it was fraught. Mm-hmm. Just because like you hear like Liv Taylor like you know, heartbreaker. I didn't actually know how many hearts that she hath broken. And like, I know, right? The fu- like, as the, the feminist in me should be like, why can't we talk about her like <laughs> acting or like her talents or her like contributions? Listen, I do not control what Hollywood considers a scandal, okay? Especially in the 50s. They were scandalized by it. So ergo, I'm going to report on it. Does that mean that I think it should have been this scandalized? Maybe not. But this is still kind of from what they consider to be like a scandal that should cancel her, I'm reading all of these as like, girl, that's kind of messy, but like also queen. <laughs> so in 1950, when Elizabeth Taylor was just 18, she married hotel heir Conrad Hilton of the Hiltons. Oh my God. But the marriage was a disaster and it didn't even last a full year. You know, they fumbled the bag immediately. Two years later, she married for the second time to British actor Michael Wilding. The marriage lasted five years, and Taylor gave birth to two sons, Christopher and Michael. That couple divorced in 1957. The same year, Taylor tied the knot for a third time, uh, marrying film producer Mike Todd. That couple had a daughter, Liza. Tragedy struck in March no. of 15, not 15, no, <laughs> 1956, when Todd was killed in a plane crash. Oh my god. Taylor hadn't been on that plan because she was ill with a cold. In the oh. aftermath of Todd's death, Taylor was devastated, obviously, and she spent time crying on the shoulder of former co-star Eddie Fisher, who was married to Debbie Reynolds. I thought that's a Debbie Ryan at first. <laughs> Vibe it? Really, really dig on it. <laughs> then remember that feeling. In what would be a huge Hollywood controversy. Fisher left Reynolds for Taylor and they married again. The couple was slammed in the press. How could Fisher leave America's sweetheart? Because Reynolds was known for like wholesome films like mm-hmm. Singing in the Rain, other like more family friendly ventures for a woman perceived by many as a quote man eater. Because men are stupid. 
This is so timely. Right, isn't it? In 1963, Taylor starred in Cleopatra, the role that gave Taylor the title of Hollywood's highest paid actress. When Taylor as Cleopatra starred opposite Burton, Mark Antony, in the blockbuster role many perceived she was, quote, born to play, she was 30 and still married to Fisher. Uh, I forget Burton's first name, but we're just going to call him Burton for the rest of this. <laughs> Sparks flew when Taylor and Burton kissed in a film they like in a scene they filmed together gazing in each other's eyes and the kiss was longer than was actually in the script <laughs> years later taylor said when i saw him on the set of cleopatra i fell in love and i've loved him ever since so taylor and burton began another affair oh my god <laughs> in the full gaze of the media causing an international scandal because i think burton was like um i think european oh. They both ended their marriages to be together. So, you know that previous marriage that Taylor had that, like, uh-huh. <laughs> that she quote-unquote home-wrecked? Lasted four years before she cheated again. Wow. That's just so funny. I just imagine, like, they're, like, macking on set, and they're like, cut. Cut. Uh, cut. Uh, okay. Okay, cut. The g- guys. <laughs> And so began a decade filled with passion, horrendous fights, a lavish lifestyle, and extravagant gifts. It seemed nothing could break their bond, which included a 10-year marriage, a divorce, a second marriage, and a second divorce. (laughs) So they were married for years, they divorced, and then they're like, no, let's give us another shot. Married for a couple of months and then divorced again. Okay. There was another marriage in 1976 when Taylor wed politician George John Warner, sorry, I'm throwing out names at you. Five years later, that marriage ended, and Taylor, who battled alcohol and drug addictions, checked into the Betty Ford Theater, and there she met... Or center. Not the Betty Ford Theater. (laughs) (laughs) She met construction worker Larry Fortensky, where she was like, well, maybe maybe my problem is I'm marrying famous people, Uh and he's just marrying nobody. And so she married a a construction worker, and she married at Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. So, which was the kiss of death. Elizabeth. <laughs> so, in 1996, Elizabeth Taylor and Fortensky divorced. And Taylor dedicated the rest of her life to philanthropy, yeah. receiving several accolades, including the Presidential Citizens Medal. So, she did, maybe, she didn't die single, I don't think, but she did die unmarried. Which, mm-hmm. honestly, like, Queen, maybe that was for the best. Like, yeah. marriage isn't for everyone, That's obviously. Fun. And honestly, it's so weird hearing, like, Taylor had... Like, the phrase Taylor had a fraught relationship and, like, the inner Swifty in me is, like, I think I've seen this film before. <laughs> Taylor Swift has not gotten married yet, but, mm-hmm. like, I think for the time, you can't date long-term in the 50s. No. You have to put that ring on that immediately. Yeah, that's so true. So, History yeah. History really do just be repeating itself. Crazy. Straight up. Yeah, I was like, so that was Liv Taylor, man-eater. And at the time, I'm sure, like, that they were like, that means that Elizabeth Taylor is a bitch that should be put down like a dog that she is. But I'm over here, I'm like, okay, slay. (laughs) (laughs) You're so right, though. I didn't really think about the fact that, like, you probably, like, you can't really have, like, long-term dating Mm -hmm. unless it's leading to marriage. Like, she can't. Because that's so improper. Yes, because I was literally even wondering, the guy who she, like, married and divorced and then married again, I was like, girl, why don't you just, like, date for a little bit and, like, Mm -hmm. figure out if you really want to get back together. But, yeah. You just have to jump on that impulse. And then that impulse goes, wah, wah. Oh, that's right. He's an alcoholic. And I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And we both have problems because we're both famous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next up, I'm going to talk about the Winona Ryder shoplifting incident of 2001. I cannot believe it was that, like, not that 2001 is soon enough. 
or like long that lot long ago but it seems closer than i thought it was i thought this happened in like the 90s yeah it's over was two this pre or post 9-11 it was in december so the, pre <laughs> or no post oh my god the nation was reeling from 9-11 and here comes winona Ryder <laughs> stealing okay well i'll actually the next thing i'm gonna talk about also happened in 2001 oh. so there was a lot occurring in 2001 i still don't know why 9-11 is my basis for anything i was like mm, let's see because the world changed if someone's like four thousand people died i'm like that's two 9-11s yeah yeah i don't know why 9-11 is my basis for anything well it's because it was such a big deal at the time i was so a toddler like so i was crushed yeah yeah just emotionally distraught <laughs> shitting my diaper um there so, so i think it's true like when you I, I saw some tweet about like comparing the amount of people who have died in mass shootings to like 9-11 mm-hmm. and I, I i think the reason why it's such a great like basis of comparison is you think about like how the world changed and how much like legislation was put in place like post 9-11 um, you know, all of the, like, racism that occurred, <laughs> um, and, like, the war crimes all- yeah. <laughs> that followed. Yeah. When you think about, like, the great impact that it had, like, on our country and, like, just history, and then, like, you think about all of the other things that, like, have killed just as many people, and, like, people are just kind of like, eh. I didn't see anything. Like, that's fine. Call me when it's 9-11 level. And you're like, we are. (laughs) It is. It has been. So it has been, actually. (laughs) Um, So anyway, in December of 2001, Winona Ryder was arrested in front of the Beverly Hills Saks Fifth Avenue department store after after shopped... Oh my God, why can't I see... Neither of us can read today. What is happening? (laughs) After in the air? After shoplifting more than $5,000 worth of designer clothes and accessories. She was charged with grand theft burglary, vandalism, Ooh. and illegal possession of prescription drugs. Oh. Um, she was caught with possession of a antidepressant, and although it was never confirmed, a lot of people think that it was Zoloft, um, which, if being taken unprescribed, has similar effects to Xanax. Oh. But I'd, it's kind of weird because I don't think they ever proved that she had a prescription for it, but, like, her lawyers the entire time was like, no, like, she had a prescription for it. Like, that's mm. fine. But I don't, I don't know. It was mm. weird. But anyway, that was one of the charges. Um, so she was arrested and released on a $20,000 bail. Oh. Expensive. Mm. Um, but Ryder was only convicted of grand theft and shoplifting um, and given the sentence of 480 hours of community service, along with a $3,700 fine and a $6,350, um, like, given to the department store in restitution. Yeah. She was also ordered to attend psychological and drug counseling. That's fair. So during the time, despite it being like a relatively banal uh, crime. Yeah. She was completely torn apart in the press, um, effectively reducing her to a bad punchline for late night television hosts. Mm. She was in every tabloid, blowing the situation completely out of proportion, calling her a druggie, a klepto, and Hollywood's favorite term, crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Hollywood in the early 2000s loved calling women crazy. And fat. Yeah, crazy, fat, um, yeah, klepto, just just all of of the favorite terms. This was post 9-11 America. Do we not have more things to worry about? 
about than if one woman stole. Well, and and it's like, obviously this happens all the time, but there's this one article I was reading and it was like from 2001 and it had been digitized and like put on the website, but they had a like scan of what the actual article looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, And they of course used a photo of her where she's, she's like walking some red carpet or something and she's kind of making a silly face. Like her tongue is out and her eyes are wide. And so she's like, Oh no. And it just like, that photo next to this story of her being this like crazy, like lunatic klepto just paints this perspective of her being like completely off the rocker. Mm. Um, So it's also unfortunate because Ryder had like previously been very open about her struggles with depression and Mm -hmm. anxiety before this incident. And the press like used that and completely held it against her. Oh, fuck. So the whole situation um, actually forced Ryder into an acting hiatus. Mm -hmm. And she moved back to Northern California for a few years um, to spend time with, like, her friends and family. And it's interesting because she talks about the situation now. And um, although, like, it's very unfortunate how the press portrayed her, she actually thinks of the situation, not fondly, but she's like, I I think it helped me grow a lot Mm -hmm. because she was able to take that time and focus on things outside of Hollywood and Mm -hmm. like what her life would look like potentially if she never returned because she didn't know, you know, like if Hollywood was going to accept her again after that whole situation. Um, So she spent time pursuing other hobbies and passions, um, but ultimately decided that she did want to return to acting. Um, and was Stranger Things her return? No. Okay, I was like, fuck. No, her her hiatus was only like two or three years. Like oh, it okay. wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a huge um thing. But it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people kind of like forget that this happened. Oh yeah. Like I I don't know. Like if you say Winona Ryder, I I, I this is not on my mind mm-hmm. at all. But during the time, it was like the first thing that people associated with That's her. That's so crazy. I know, isn't it wild? But now it's like I literally I was scrolling through like the article that was like top ten like celebrity scandals of the early 2000s whatever um and this popped up and i was like holy shit i forgot about that i also forgot that kim k was married frankly because when you think of kim kardashian there's just so much other stuff i mean in kim k's defense like not defense anti-defense it's because she's done other crazy things like honestly you'd be more pressed to say sex tape versus the fact that she was married for 72 days or like something about kanye or something about Mm -hmm. taylor swift or something about get your ass up and work or something (laughs) like fucking anything mm-hmm. versus the and same with Anuna Ryder honestly and I also just feel like in general um and uh I was trying to to, to describe my feelings about this the other day and I don't think I found the right words but I think in general um Gen Z's squeamishness has kind of gone up where like sex sex in general but like you know sex scandals I feel like are way more like you know pearl clutching mm-hmm. but I feel like you know as this thing with Ariana Grande it's taken as like a moral failing but I feel like Gen Z and like younger we just don't give a fuck about shoplifting yeah it's never quite clear like what the I guess what her intention it has to just were. be the thrill everyone that's like that's why anyone shoplifts anything is for like the if it's not desperation it, and it seems like it wasn't because she could afford it yeah it would just had to have been like to see if she could yeah she did say when so when she got caught her like excuse was that she was working with a director who like told her to shoplift for a character that she's working on um Winona, winnie yeah which clearly was was not the case but she did say she was like yeah i was i was definitely going through like a bad time with like my depression and anxiety and think like i needed an escape you know is it not it's <laughs> go back to our primordial days girls foraged is shoplifting not foraging 
And that's why women like to shop. <laughs> it's just in my instincts. <laughs> it's just in my monkey brain. Weirdly enough, I'm going to use the Winona Ryder as a segue <laughs> yeah. because one of the biggest scandals, because remember we were like, Winona Ryder, no one, and Kim Kardashian were like, no one ever thinks of these. But when I say Mel Gibson, you know I'm going to talk about some anti-Semitic bullshit. <laughs> um, and it got me thinking, it's like, okay, so I, from what I remember, I thought he just like got arrested one time and went on like a rant. Mm-hmm. Nay, 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 nay. There's apparently an entire timeline um, of absolutely every anti-Semitic thing Mel Gibson has ever said. And this is from Forward.com, a, a Jewish independent nonprofit um, news site. And the, the first sentence is, few things in life are certain, but among the constants are death, taxes, and Mel Gibson's anti-Semitism. And then they're like, what's the timeline of everything he's ever said? It starts with when he was born, which I thought was fucking hilarious. He was born in January 3rd, 1956. Mel Commissile Gerard Gibson was born in Peekskill, New York, to Anne Riley and Hutton Gibson. His father, a World War II veteran, was a Catholic fundamentalist who believed the Second Vatican Council, which modernized the church, was, quote, a Masonic plot backed by the Jews. Decades later, in the lead up to the release of Passion of the Christ, Hutton Gibson is interviewed by radio host Steve, I don't know, Feuerstein, and claims that most of the Holocaust was fiction, that Holocaust museums are a gimmick to collect money, and that there were more Jews in Europe after World War II than before. So I don't think Mel Gibson had a fucking chance. <laughs> but who? he keeps going, though. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't... Um, sorry, not me just, like, touching your computer. No, please. Um, Fuhrerstein sounds like a Jewish last name. Yeah, doesn't it? The Gaul, huh? Yeah. The fucking audacity. So around 1996, Winona Ryder and her friend, the makeup artist Kevin Alcoin, who was gay, so you already know this is going to go in a really good direction, yeah. are at a crowded party with Gibson, who was smoking a cigar. Ryder claims that Gibson asks Alcoin, oh, wait, am I going to get AIDS? At some point, Jews come up in conversation and Gibson allegedly asks Winona Ryder, quote, you're not an oven dodger, are you? Which is such a deep cut Holocaust joke that it actually is kind of like. That's horrible. We were talking, we were mentioning this before we um, were recording, but like, it is just always insane when someone is like, so deeply racist or like anti-Semitic or, you, you know, like whatever, that you have to like, really think about what they said or you yeah. have to like google what they said and you're like oh that's like old timey racist that like yeah. i don't even know you know like it, it's that's it's, this is not your you know this is not your mom and dad's racism this is your great grandpappy's yeah. racism yeah that goes deep Ooh, ooh, that's a horrible thing to say <laughs> oh my god he's just coming in waves in august of 2003 so after 9-11 <laughs> <laughs> before the release of the passion of the christ uh, former New York Assemblyman Dov Hakeen leads around 50 Jews to the Fox News offices in Manhattan to dissuade 20th Century Fox from distributing the film, claiming its content suggests that Jews as a people bear collective guilt for the death of Christ, and then Fox passes on distributing the film. It works, essentially. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, February 2004, after re- reviewing an advanced script for The Passion of the Christ, an ADL and the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops issue a statement calling the screenplay, quote, one of the most troublesome texts related to anti-Semitic potential that any of us have seen in 25 years. The plot, they write, and this is Catholics saying this, so you know you (laughs) fucked up. The plot, they write, depicts Jesus as being relentlessly pursued by an evil cabal of Jews who pressure Pontius Pilate to sentence him to death. The readers also know that the idea that a Jewish campaign was responsible for Christ's crucifixion was rejected by the Catholic Church through the Vatican II. Well, we all know what Gibson's father felt about the Vatican II. 
February 25th, 2004, The Passion of the Christ is released in theaters. Many critics note the portrayal of Jews as grotesque, hook-nosed, uh, I don't know, Pharisees? Mm-hmm. Is deeply rooted in anti-Semitic stereotypes. The Jewish priest shown leading the charge against the Jews remorsefully utters the controversial line, quote, his blood is on us and on our children. Due to lobbying by Jewish groups, the subtitle for the line is removed, but the audio for the line delivered in Hebrew remains in the film. Gibson tells the New Yorker he included the line, which imitates that the, he he included the line, which imitates that the Jewish people share collective guilt for Jesus's death because quote I wanted it in. My brother said I was wimping out if I didn't include it, but man, if I included that in there, they'd be coming after me at my house. They'd come to kill me. When challenged by how the film would be received by Jews, Gibson said in multiple interviews that his film is simply telling the truth. December 2005, it's announced that Gibson, seeking to repair his reputation with the Jewish community, is developing a Holocaust miniseries for ABC. The series was never made. In July of 2006, this is the big one, L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy James Mee pulls Gibson over on the Pacific Coast Highway. After informing Gibson, who was drunk, that he will be detained, the actor says, apropos of nothing, fucking Jews. The Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world. Before asking me, are you a Jew? Me is. Oh, <laughs> Gibson's publicist issues a statement from Gibson to the New York Times. I act like a person completely out of control when I was arrested. I said things that I do not believe to be true and that are despicable. I am deeply ashamed of everything I said, and I apologize to anyone I may have offended. Um, he claims that following his encounter with Gibson, his supervisors pressure him to remove the anti-Semitic remarks from Gibson's incident report. After complaining about those requests, he said he was subject to religious discrimination and passed up for promotions. He sues his department finally settling a religious discrimination suit with his employer in 2012. Wow. September 2011. <laughs> it's reported that Gibson is developing a historical epic about the life of Judah Maccabee, whose story he claims to have loved since discovering the first and second book of the Maccabees. Quote, I just read it when I was a teenager, and it's amazing. Gibson says the Atlantic's Jeffrey Goldberg. Uh, Gibson claims to take a special delight in the cinematic portrayal of Maccabees, defiance of impossible odds. The armies they faced had elephants. The ADL's Abraham Fox Major's statement in response to Gibson's plans, quote, Judah Maccabee deserves better. He is a hero of the Jewish people and a universal hero in the struggle for religious liberty. It would be a travesty to have a story told by one who has no respect and sensitivity for other people's religious views. And then Warner Bros. decides to pull on the Maccabees. Um, yeah, and then in 2016, he says that he's annoyed when people mention that he's anti-Semitic. And he goes, that's so unfair. <laughs> I don't understand. It's been 10 years. Since I've on record said that I hate the <laughs> Jewish people. I don't get it. So that was Mel Gibson. Wow. Yeah, there's... there. Uh, I'm sorry. There's absolutely no fucking redemption. For no! What like, the fuck? No. You... you uh, <sighs> yeah, I have no words. <laughs> I, I, like, literally have no words. Which sucks, because, like, the, the first two scandals were like, oh my gosh, like, this shouldn't even really be a scandal. Like, who cares? Like, it's whatever. And this one, I'm like, you deserved this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even then I, I think mel gibson's like still around which is weird yeah. like he's not in any sort of like major capacity because i think like a lot of people like his name is, is officially dead like i think a lot yeah. of people were like oh mel gibson is attached to this like you're for it's like kevin spacey where you're like oh well your name is gone yeah uh, goodbye but and i think it's been long enough like it's impressive to have a like multiple decades worth of hatred against you. Um, but I think he actually is kind of still around, which is yeah. really cool and not at all like really like maddening. Yeah. It is kind of crazy. I, I catch myself sometimes like thinking that everyone in a creative industry is like 
you know, fairly liberal with their, you know, political and, like, social views. Because I, I don't know why, because I just, like, I associate creative people with, like, kindness. Yeah, and open-mindedness and, like, you know, like, all of these things that wh- whenever, like, a you know, cre- or person in the creative field. I, I, it's just easy to forget that, like, there are lots of people in the creative field who are, like, incredibly anti-Semitic. And, and bitter that, like, if, it's like, if, if your screenplay doesn't work out, Ben Shapiro, it's because of the wokes, like, mm-hmm. and not at all because you fucking suck as a screenwriter. Like, yeah. if your, you know, movie doesn't get off the ground, it's because, like, the producer was Jewish. Oh, it's because so-and-so. Oh, it's because it wasn't gay enough. Like, you'd be surprised. Yeah. How many people in Hollywood genuinely have like chips on their shoulder and they think it's because of minority groups? Mm-hmm. And you're like, God. Well, because there has to be a reason, right? Because yeah. you're like, well, I know that this is the best written screenplay in all of history. <laughs> so obviously it can't be that like it's a bad story or that yeah. it's poorly written or that there's no care, you know, like whatever the fuck it is. Like that can't it's be the why. Yeah, it's because the it's not woke enough. It's because blah, blah, blah. also everyone. This is like such a side thing, but everyone is talking about like the Barbie movie, obviously, yeah. and how they're like, oh my god, it's like all this woke propaganda, blah blah blah. It's like not even that. Su- my it's favorite, like super mellow, like Ben Shapiro. My fa- he like he had a Freudian slip when he was talking about like his review of the film. He talked about like and the bet. Sorry, the Kens are, like, seen as an afterthought. And people are like, oh, my God. What might genuinely be a slip of the tongue is, like, uh-huh. the fucking funniest Freudian slip I've ever that heard in funny. my life. The Ben, the Ken's. The like, ben, I heard you. I heard you, Ben. We all did. You don't even want to cut that out? You don't want to do a retake? Like, God. <laughs> the things sorry. that people just refuse to edit out. I know. Well, and it's also, like, sorry, this, like, is not important, but with that whole thing of, like, the Ken's are an afterthought. Yeah, it's the Barbie movie. Yeah. It's the, like, what? I don't know why everyone is suddenly pretending that they, like, care about Ken dolls. Yeah. Well, that was, like, the joke for the past, like, since the 60s was that Ken was obviously gay and effeminate Uh and that he and Barbie had, like, a loveless marriage. Like, that was, like, the joke about Ken is that Uh Ken, like, if you have a Ken doll, like, Ken is, like, and suddenly now the movie is, like, yeah, I guess Ken's really are, like, an accessory and superfluous and all these Uh men are, like, justice for Ken. You look me in my fucking eyes, you Bud Light drinking, (laughs) American flag wearing, grown man. Did you care about Ken? No, you fucking did not care about Ken. This is, and this, I know it rhymes with men, this isn't necessarily about, like, men and... It's just... No. I mean, it is. But, like, even in the, the topic of the film, they don't say men are bad. They say Kens aren't necessary. Uh-huh. Which they aren't. No. They've it's, always been sold as an accessory. Yeah, no, I could they, do a whole podcast about Barbie. That's literally, like, the point that's made in the movie is that they're like, <laughs> Ken does not exist without the attention of Barbie. And that's a bad thing. Yeah. And, like, that's... That, that's like the joke. Like that's I don't know. I'm, I'm like, what do you not get? Like, how do you not? How do you have no fucking... being purposefully obtuse? Yeah. On poipus. Anyway, back um, to scandals. Back to scandals. Um, we're talking about the big one, Martha Stewart. Mother. <laughs> I thought that uh, Martha's Vineyard was Martha Stewart related up until I think like God last year. Yeah, I I found out a couple. Yeah, much much too old finding out that um, Martha's Vineyard is, like, an island and not just, <laughs> yeah. like, I thought it was just, like, some wine vineyard. That, Literally, like, like Southern, sponsored you know? by Martha Stewart yeah. or, like, 
yeah, Martha's Vineyard seems like like a line of like cookware that would be sold at Walmart. Yeah, which is just um, I don't know. I guess that shows how great the like American public education. Uh, system but also, is. I, I I'm not in the right tax bracket to yeah, go to Martha's like, Vineyard. So like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, but it is. I yeah, I remember hearing about it and being like, why does everyone care so much about this this wine vineyard? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyway, so Martha Stewart. So funny enough, this incident actually also occurred in December 2001. Oh my God. Um, the same month and year of the Winona Ryder incident. Like a lot was happening in December of 2001. I don't know why. Um, so that's when this happened. However, in 2003, American television personality and businesswoman, girl boss, Martha Stewart, was indicted on charges of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and securities fraud due to her involvement in a December 2001 insider trading scheme yeah. surrounding the biopharmaceutical company Imclone Systems. Um, so... Imclone Systems had developed a experimental antibody to be used for the treatment of metastatic um, colorectal, co- oh my god, you colorectal cancer and head and neck cancer. Killed it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so Martha Stewart's broker, Peter um, Bakanovic, was a close friend and the broker of Sam Wexall, who was the founder and CEO of Imclone. So Peter Bakanovic. Martha Stewart's broker and broker of and close friend of the founder and CEO of Imclum. Okay, I see the triangle. Yes. So Bakanovic tipped off Stewart by letting her know um, that Wexel was selling all of his shares of Imclone. Never looks good when the CEO of a company is selling all of their shares. So because of this, Stewart sold about 4,000 shares of the company the day before the FDA announced that the experimental antibody that Imclone had developed had failed to obtain approval. So they're selling all of these shares, and then the very next day, the world fi- or the public finds out this thing that is obviously going to affect like the stock in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, because of her well-timed trade, um, she avoided losses of forty-five thousand dollars and six hundred. $45,673, which of course raised red flags and caught the attention of federal investigators. I have a question. Yes. This so far does not even seem like it's sh- like, why is this illegal? <gasps> I'm so glad you asked. Oh my God. Um, like, am I just stupid? Because that just seems like you're using your network. Like I'm, I- so here's the thing. Um, insider trading is illegal because, um, so insider trading is the buying or selling of publicly traded company stock by individuals with access to non-public material information about that company. This practice is considered illegal because it's unfair to other investors who don't have access to that privileged information. I guess that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. it's also like, like, you know, in my job, like, sometimes I have to email a casting director. I don't have that email, and so mm-hmm. I'll never get that self-tape in because I mm-hmm. can't email. And, like, someone else will know who that is, and it just kind of de- – like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that, you know, if you have insider knowledge, but also it's, like, be an insider. I know. Like, it's, it should be illegal, but I, I know how the story goes, and I know that Martha Stewart's <laughs> going to go to prison, and I'm just like, I just don't know if I agree with prison time. Am I the problem? I, I – 
here's the thing. I think it's because it has to do with money and often like tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars of mm. money. And that will affect like, that can affect the economy as a whole. Yeah. That can affect like, you know, j- just like your average citizen, if you have stock in Imclone Systems and you don't know about this, you are losing thousands of dollars when someone else who had who was tipped off that like you know this major thing was going to happen and that the ceo was selling all of his shares they are you know saving themselves thousands of dollars of losses when the average individual it like has to go through that which is crazy because like if they, they share a broker that means that like in the best case scenario where Martha Stewart didn't go to jail, like, he'd either be like, well, I know this is happening. Sorry, Martha. Yeah. Or, like, he lets her know and she's like, well, I guess I'll just take this loss. Like, that sucks. Yeah. Um, so in 2003, she was indicted. And in January 2004, the trial began. Um, it lasted only about a month. Um, and basically through the entire thing, Martha denied any wrongdoing and claimed that she had a deal with her stockbroker saying that if the shares went below a certain price, she would sell them. I think it was like $60 or something. Like if the shares went below $60, she would sell them. Um, during the witness testimony, however, of Bakanovic's assistant, it was confirmed that Bakanovic, I might be mispronouncing his last name. I, I don't really care to be honest. Um, but... It was, confirmed. it was confirmed that Bakanovic had tipped Martha off about the impending loss. So his assistant went on the stand and was basically like, yeah, no, like I remember him, you know, calling her and, and being and being like, hey, like you should, you know, get out while you can. After weeks of argument back and forth between defense and prosecution teams, Martha Stewart was not convicted for criminal insider trading charges. However... She did have to pay $195,000 to settle a civil case with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, but what she was found guilty of was conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and lying to investigators after a 2004 trial. Oh, so it's like how Bill Clinton wasn't, like, arrested. Or not arrested, but he wasn't charged with, like, having an intern suck him off. He was mm-hmm. charged with obstruction with, of justice yes. and lying to the court. Exactly, okay. exactly. Um so so she 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 wasn't even convicted of insider trading, but she was convicted of like lying about it, basically. Mm. So here's like a breakdown of the conviction, because it's kind of like, okay, conspiracy, obstruction of justice, whatever. Like what? Why? Like why, why did that come about? So the conspiracy um, conviction is because she was found to have conspired with her broker, Bakanovic, to obstruct justice and make false statements in the Imclone Insider Trading investigation. Um, so that's basically her, they're saying that her and Bakanovic like were conspiring together in order to make false statements. Um, the obstruction of justice comes in um, because she was found to try to hamper the Securities and Exchange Commission investigation of her stock sale by providing misleading information and attempting to tamper with a phone message from Bakanovic. Oh. And then false statements. Um, Stewart was found to have lied to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the FBI, and federal prosecutors when she claimed she had prearranged with her broker to sell her Imclone stock when it fell below $60 per share. She was also found to have lied about not recalling being told that the family of Imclone founder was selling stock. Mm. So that's what she was. That's why she went to prison. Um, the conviction resulted in a sentence of five months in prison, followed by five months of house arrest and two years probation, oh. as well as a fine of $30,000. Which seems like unnecessary. If I'm going to prison and then house arrest and then probation, it's like, and also, why not 30 grand? It's like, come on, man. <laughs> you are team smart. I am. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm pro shoplifting and I'm pro insider trading. <laughs> 
Um, Stewart reported, reported to a minimum security West Virginia prison in October of 2004 and was, according to her, giving the nickname M. Diddy while she was in prison. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's because I just see her, like, I see Martha Stewart now as I see, like, you know, those, like, like, kind of was talking about last episode about the rom-com couples where, like, you just see those, like, badass older women who, like, went to prison for, like, have, like, there's my grandma in her youth. She was crazy. And now she's mm-hmm. chill and hangs out with Snoop Dogg and, like, mm-hmm. sells, like, weed brownie. <laughs> and, like, she's, like, Mother Stewart's done prison time. It just kind of seems like, all right. Like, you see this, like, woman who wears, like, you know, um like east coast yeah. grandmother clothing with like a pressed collar and she'll make you a summer salad and she's been to prison i'm just like yeah. i think that's cool i'm sorry she does talk about she she has talked about her like time in prison and like a couple of interviews and she literally she's like i would not wish it on my worst enemy and yeah. like it's it's like the worst thing i've i've ever been through um and she was only there for five months so which i mean is like a, a long time but um yeah, so that's that's the whole thing with Martha Stewart. That's why, because I like knew that she had like gone to prison and all this stuff, but I didn't really know like what she was convicted of and like for what reasons. Um, so yeah, that's more of a explanation of like exactly why she went to prison. Hmm. All right. All right. So I have two honorable mentions. Um, these are things that like, I, these were both things that I did not know. I had never heard of before, probably because they were literally before I was born. So like, I don't know why that would follow me. Mm, Pre 9-11. Yeah, into into my like consciousness. (laughs) Um, but here are my two honorable mentions. Um, Jerry Seinfeld dates a teenager. God, Jerry! Did you know about this? I honestly, okay. No, I think mm, I think I might have. I just know that Jerry Seinfeld is considered like Jerry Seinfeld is one of those comedians where like the worst man you know idolizes Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. and like everyone else is like, eh. it's like he was like a what he represents is like this era of comedy that I. He was like, you know, I'm the everyman. I isn't it funny that like you know you buy a pair of socks and they give you a hanger for them. <laughs> And now he's like a quadrillionaire. I remember before uh, John Mulaney broke my heart and like John Mulaney was like Gen Z's like perfect comedian that mm-hmm. he, um, cause John Mulaney wanted to be Jerry Seinfeld so bad, so fucking bad. Did he want it? He like tried to reboot his own Seinfeld show. Literally it was called Mulaney. It was the exact like word for like beat for beat. Yeah. It wanted to be a reboot. And Jerry Fe- Seinfeld was interviewing John Mulaney. And then they were like talking about like John's wife. And then the like, Jerry was just being so gross where it's like, uh, was your wife an interior designer? All women are interior designers. Like, at least they, oh, but, you know, she's in charge. At least that's what we want him to think, right? And, like, you could tell that John was just looking at him. He's like, what the fuck? So I know know Jerry Seinfeld is, like, weird. And I think I might have heard this, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anything. I'm so so ready to take this stupid schmuck face down. So this was in 1993. Ew. Um... After a chance encounter in Central Park, a I'm I'm not gonna say her name because I feel like she deserves to live her life, um, but a 17 year old exchanged phone numbers with the then 38 year old comedian Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry. He approached her. She was a senior in high school, um, and they you know had a brief conversation, exchanged phone numbers. They dated for four years. <gasps> Jerry, no. Jerry, no. And she, um, so they dated from, she was 17 to 21. 
and they broke up when she was 21 and he was what's 38 plus 4 42 21 42 yep um she even transferred from george washington university to ucla to be closer to him um, despite being more than twice her age, Seinfeld insisted there was nothing inappropriate about their relationship, defending his actions during an appearance on the Howard Stern's radio show. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Howard Stern, of fucking <laughs> yeah. course. And he'd be like, you're right, Jerry, I believe you. <laughs> Women these days, you know, you can't even tell how old they are looking at them. You know, they're dressed in the short skirts. <laughs> and the, uh, Jerry, I believe you. I've known you for a long time, and I know you'd never do something like that. Yeah, I thank you. I also think that, you know, that's yeah. my Jerry Seinfeld impression. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Um, so shortly after they ended their relationship, the comedian met um, Tommy Hilfiger public relation executive Jessica Sklar. Sklar! Sklar. <laughs> sounds like someone trying to say my name badly. <laughs> um, asked her out on a date, unaware Sklar. This cannot be her last name. Sklar. Um, unaware Sklar was just returning from an Italian honeymoon with then-husband Eric um, Nederlander. What is up with these last names? Sklar filed for divorce just two months later and married Seinfeld. Did Seinfeld let his child bride know that he was moving on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was, they broke up in 1997. Okay. Um, and then he got married in 1999. Um, but yeah, that's that's the whole. Gerard. Jerry Seinfeld dates a teenager Gerard for four Seinfeld. years. Um, which, yeah, I had never heard of this before. I had no idea that this had happened. I was just like, what the fuck? And I'm like, reading, and she like went to red carpets with him. And like, like they were very like. It was a very public relationship. And he was just openly like, yeah, I'm 40 years old dating a 19 year old. And that's what happens when you're a comedian. You know, you get the young ass. Yeah, but 38 dating a senior in high school. What are you being? She's all she's of age. I didn't know. What's up with that? Um, so that's honorable mention number one. Honorable mention number two. Um, okay. Tim Allen served two years in federal prison. Mm, I actually didn't know this, but I know he sucks. So this is fun. So more. Yeah. Again, never heard of this before. I think this happened in the 80s. Um, no. Oh, my God. This was in the 70s. Um, so more than a decade before rising to fame with his starring role in Home Improvement, Tim uh-huh. Allen was arrested in a Michigan airport for possession of 650 grams of cocaine. <gasps> On October 2nd, 1978, Alan was able to avoid life imprisonment. Holy shit, Tim. Tim. Crazy. Through a plea deal in which he provided authorities with the names of other dealers in exchange for a reduced sentence of three to seven years for drug trafficking. Oh, so he was just a, so Mr. Santa Claus himself just turned into a snitch to avoid life in prison? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh-oh. I, I can't no wonder he left Michigan. In prison? Yeah, I'm like, life in prison? And that's why he's cocaine? the voice of pure Michigan. For, for what? Tim Allen is the voice of, like, Michigan. Like, like come visit Michigan. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Like, uh, one of my, um, the the roommate in college, so she was from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And every time, like, we'd bring up Tim Allen, she would pull up. And, yeah, it's his, um, we would play from her um, TV. Mm-hmm. And so she would get, like, Michigan ads because your oh. mom was paying for oh, it. Oh, yeah. And it'd be, like, pure Michigan. And it's Tim Allen. He's, That's like, the crazy. voice of, like, getting people to try to come to Michigan interesting interesting and he fled the state probably to avoid being like all of michigan's like bitch (laughs) bitch boy for outing them as cocaine dealers 
<laughs> yeah, uh, probably. So he would be paroled in June 1981 after serving just two years and four months of a sentence in a Minnesota federal prison. Yeah, so he was in federal prison for like almost two and a half years. Crazy, crazy. It's just one of those things where I was like, Tim Allen, like, would yeah. not, like, yeah, before all of his fame and like everything, like, he served time. I don't know. That's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, those are my two honorable mentions. All right. Now I feel like here's what, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a sad one and then we're going to do a, a, a juicy one as a pickup, okay. right? Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, I think this, this is kind of a, it's, it is a scandal, um, because someone is dead. They don't, like, I was looking at, like, old Hollywood scandals, and some of them, it's like, someone's daughter shot, like, here's, here's a famous actress, famous actress's daughter shot boyfriend. Like, they don't make celebrity scandals like this anymore, <laughs> where people are dead. But, um, the scandal of it is that not only is the actress, like, the famous actress dead, but two suspects are also famous actors. One of them is famous today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the drowning of Natalie Wood. I'm sure I've like told this to you before or mentioned I've, it. I've so when I was like deep in my um, true crime podcast mm-hmm. era, I've I've listened to a couple podcasts about this situation. I'm gonna give you the real quick it's, version. Yeah, I'm sure crazy. that we can. Uh, I I learned the first time I heard about this was through BuzzFeed Unsolved, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's better podcasts about this. But um, in general, uh, Natalie Wood was a very beloved actress. She was in West Side Story. She was in Miracle on 34th Street. Um, she used to date Elvis Presley. Didn't know that. Um, but yeah, she was just this Hollywood starlet. And she married actor Robert Wagner in 1957. Um, and then, and then she was dead. So <laughs> I'm going to read this little timeline thing. So Natalie Wood was only 43 years old when her body was found floating off the coast of Catalina Island aboard a yacht named The Splendor with the previous night with her husband, Robert Wagner, her co-star, Christopher Walken. Chris Walken, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And boat captain Dennis Davern, she had disappeared overnight. Um, and currently this is an unsolved mystery, which if it was a if it was a shocker like then, it it's only because like not only is the starlet dead and these two very famous actors are in the heart of this investigation, the investigation never fully closed. In fact, mm-hmm. it reopened in 2011 um, because they're like the 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 circumstances around her drowning are just because it was closed as accidental drowning. And then enough of Wood's family have and like public interest have kept it. At, it's reopened now. People mm-hmm. are like actually looking to see if um, who killed this bitch. So eat. I want to scroll through all of this. I'm getting all of this from an articles because I'm lazy. Um, OK, this is fun about like marrying and remarrying. Um, Wood had affairs with both her director, Nicholas Ray, and her co-star, Dennis Hopper. Um, And then she married Robert Wagner in 1957. They divorced five years later. And then they remarried again in 1972 and had a daughter. Wow. Romance. Who said romance is dead? (laughs) Um, And then, although Wood's career began to wane, she did act opposite Oscar winner Christopher Walken in her last picture before she passed away, which was Brainstorm. Um, And the two became fast friends with some suspicion that they were secretly dating on the side. Um, And it was Thanksgiving weekend of 1981 when their alleged relationship arguably became a problem. So Wood and Wagner invited Walken, three W's, uh, to join their sailing trip around Catalina Island. And that's when everything went wrong. 
What happened on the evening of November 28th, 1891 is unclear. 1981. 1981. Did I say 18 again? Yeah, you said 18. I really want this to be like ancient, huh? (laughs) What is clear is that authorities recovered Wood's body the following morning, floating a mile away from the Splendor. A small dinghy was found beached nearby. The investigators report chronicled the events as follows. Whether you believe this or not is entirely up to you. Wood went to bed first, Wagner having stayed up chatting with Walken. Chatting. They were arguing. Later went to join her, but noticed that both she and the dinghy were gone. Wood's body was found around 8 a.m. the the next morning in a flannel nightgown, down jacket, and socks. According to biography, the chief medical examiner in the L.A. County Coroner's Office announced her death was an accidental drowning. The autopsy showed Natalie Wood had multiple bruises on her arms and an abrasion on her left cheek. The coroner explained Wood's bruises as superficial and probably sustained at the time of drowning. But in 2011, Captain Dennis Davern admitted that he left out key details regarding that night's events. Why? And as the years went on, Wood's loved ones only had more questions. Davern said the weekend was filled with arguments and that the main issue was the glaring flirtation between Walken and Wood. Mm -hmm. The tension was going on all evening. Robert Wagner was very jealous of Christopher Walken and who the fuck wouldn't be? They spent hours um, at a Catalina Island bar before Wagner showed up, furious. But then they all went to dinner that night where they shared champagne, two bottles of wine, cocktails. Um, I think one report said that they were like heavily drunk. Like these, Mm -hmm. these bitches were like drinking the bar. And employees couldn't recall whether it was Wagner or Walken, but one of them threw a glass at the wall at one point. Um, I think Walken later said it's because he tried to do like the Thor thing where he was like, another, and he shattered a glass on the floor. But a glass was thrown at one point. Everyone gasped. They had to get swept up. And then around 10 p.m., they used their dinghy to get back aboard the Splendor. Accounts have changed over the years. Walken did admit to investigators that he and Wagner had a small beef, but that it regarded the couple's prolonged film shoot uh, related absences from their child. Essentially, Walken was like, listen, I wasn't mad about the relationship. I was mad that they were leaving their daughter behind as someone who cares for mm-hmm. their ch- Yeah. And then all the people were like, oh, shit. I don't fucking believe that. <laughs> Although reports initially stated that the fight died down, Davern claimed otherwise in 2011. He said that everyone continued drinking when back on board and that Wagner was enraged. He allegedly broke a wine bottle over a table and screamed at Walken, what What are you trying to do? Fuck my wife? <laughs> and yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty clear. <gasps> so he was. Davin remembered Walken retreating back to his cabin at one point, and that was the last I saw of him. Wagner and Wood returned to their room, too, when a shouting match ensued. Most ominously, Davin said he later heard the fight continue on deck before everything went silent. And when Davin checked on them, he saw only Wagner, who said, Natalie is missing. Wagner told Davin to go look for her, and then that the dinghy was missing, too. And the captain knew that Natalie was deathly afraid of water and doubted that she had taken the dinghy out alone. He also said that Wagner did not want to turn the boat's floodlights on nor call for help because he didn't want to draw any attention to the situation. Key witness Marilyn Wayne, who was in a boat 80 feet from that night, told sheriff's investigators that she and her boyfriend heard a woman screaming around 11 p.m. The call to the Arbor Master went unanswered, and with a party on another boat nearby, the pair concluded that it may have been a joke. Um, and as for Wagner's hesitance to call anyone, he eventually did at 1.30 in the morning. And then Wood's body was then found. So um, the mysterious circumstances is as of right now, um, no one can say for sure how Natalie got in the water. Like, um, I'm kind of going to paraphrase here just because I, I, have, I have a swell of knowledge on this subject. Is that obviously, like, Natalie Wood could not swim. She was deathly afraid of the water. And they even see, like, claw marks on the boat where she tried to, like, 
get back on. So once she was in the dinghy, um, she panicked, freaked the fuck out, Mm -hmm. and then got off the dinghy and then drowned because she couldn't swim and then her body was just kind of floating out where... This is what is, like, assumed... No, what, what they what they know is that she once she was in the water, she couldn't swim and she drowned. Yeah. What they don't know is how she got in the water in the first place, which makes this case open because a lot of people are saying that like the timelines don't match up of like why Natalie would willingly get into a dinghy mm-hmm. at night when she can't swim when she's been heavily intoxicated. Again, being drunk makes you do stupid things. But the weirdness is if someone pushed her, if someone made her get in there with the promise of going with her and then they backed out last minute, if it was just like, if it was foul play because people um, at the time of the drowning, she got bruised and her cheek got hit, but that isn't, the waters weren't choppy enough to justify that. So people were like, who did she get in a fight with at what point? Um, uh, God, what's, what's his name? His act, Wagner is dead now, um, but he maintained his innocence throughout the whole thing. But in a very um, O.J. Simpson move, he wrote a book being like, here's what I think exactly happened in these exact, in this order, in this exact time, is that the moss just must have been so slippery. There was no moss. Or like, <laughs> the dinghy must have been bothering her as it hit up against the boat. This would have made no noise. Like, he has a very cut and dry um sequence of what he thinks happened and even like the the captain who was giving this like giant tell-all only told the story in like years after like 2011 um and not during the initial investigation and it's weird that like you would remember more details as time goes on and not after and also wagner like told like tabloids first before he told like official investigators so even then you have to take like his account with a grain of salt and then you have like christopher walken is involved in like an ongoing murder investigation mm-hmm. and chris walken is actually genuinely tired of being asked about this he's like it's done it's cut and dry i'm not gonna do a chris walken impression it's literally impossible for my tiny feminine mouth but what <laughs> it's just it's crazy to me that like you have this beloved actor like everyone loves christopher walken because he's yeah. such like an oddball that it's like you were like the last person to see a very famous actress alive. And that doesn't like bother you. Oh my God. I was literally thinking about this while you were like telling the story because when I, (laughs) this people are probably going to be like these damn Gen Zers. Um, When I think of Christopher Walken, I think of his glorious performance in Hairspray. I think of Hairspray and um, Catch Me If You Can. Mm, Actually, I haven't seen that. Um, Wait, is that the one with, um, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, Bring it in back, baby! Leo DiCaprio! Who does he play in that? The main character. Christopher it's, Walken? Uh, no, Christopher Walken plays Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. Oh, okay. Okay, I see, I see. Um, anyway, but I, I, I was, yeah, thinking about him in Hairspray, and it's like, I think the wild thing about these, like, quote-unquote, like, celebrity scandals is it can be so easy to think that like these people are inhuman in, in like certain ways because, because they are, you know, far removed from reality Mm -hmm. than like the average person. And they, you know, have obviously have access to things that like the average person doesn't have. But I think it can be very easy to forget that like they have lives and like emotions and like things that they've been through. Like it's, I don't know. It's fucking crazy again with like Tim Allen. It's fucking crazy that like he went to federal prison for like two and a half years. And that's just like part of his life experience. Yeah. And it's crazy that like Christopher Walken, the fucking like lovable goofball and hair. Who talks funny. 
Yeah, that just like to see his performance in Hairspray and be like, that man was part of a murder investigation. And like, that is one still of, ongoing, yes, unsolved. And one of his like potential love interests like died randomly. Yeah. And, and like, it, I, I don't know, it's just so wild to like see these people just kind of like go on with their lives. And you're like, yeah, that's life. Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't know. That's just so weird to like wrap my mind around. Yeah. The, the, the actual like, the case itself like this is not a true crime podcast nor will it ever be Mm -hmm. and if you want like more detail because like this case itself is very muddy like i think even the boat captain has like had like a thing for wood at one point they Mm -hmm. like spent the night together in a hotel but like in separate beds says the captain and like basically it's all just one big mess and it kind of just leads to like a big whodunit where like three people like four people were on this boat and one person is dead who did it who's to say and like that is so fucking crazy that like usually this happens with one famous person and like three nobodies but like three famous people and one nobody and said mm-hmm. nobody is now famous for being the captain of the fucking yeah like boat that <laughs> killed natalie wood which is crazy and that's the downer uh I want to go up a, like a little bit of an upper. It's still a downer, but at least it's like a fun, juicy upper. And that's the Tiger Woods cheating scandal. I remember as a kid, I was like personally devastated. Yeah. For some reason. I was reason. like, love is not real. And I'm just like, I think it's because like I... six years old. I revered him. Like, I like revered Obama, which to be fair, like these both t- took place in like 2009. And mm-hmm. they were both like... I mean, Tiger Woods met Obama like when Obama was like elected. Um, and they were both, you know... They were successful in a very, like, predominantly white field, and they beat the odds. And I just feel like people, like, Tiger Woods was, like, the like, considered the best golfer of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, the world was, like, in the palm of his hands. And then just seeing, and I didn't know how, I thought that, like, his cheating scandal just went on, like, the one, no, it is not just the one. Woods was considered the greatest golfer of all time and a uniquely American success story. He was, like, a multi-ethnic superstar dominating a historically very white sport. I remember he was, like, he was reinventing what it, like, meant to be a golfer. He had a beautiful wife, Ellen Nordegren, a former model in Sweden. They had two kids, and he was a very wholesome image that netted him $110 million in endorsements. He was 33 years old. Damn. Here's how the night went down. <laughs> like, this is such a movie. November 26, 2009, the day before, the National Enquirer, which (laughs) the National Enquirer headline read, Tiger Woods cheating scandal. Inside was a spread detailing Woods' months-long affair with a New York City nightclub hostess named Rachel Uchitel. Uchitel? I think it was Uchitel. I was literally YouTubing how to say her name. She was photographed checking in the same hotel as Woods during the Australian Masters and was quoted in telling a friend, it's Tiger Woods. I don't care about his wife. We're in love. Very inquirer thing, but Woods seemed worried enough Mm -hmm. that the day before the magazine hit the stands, Woods had his wife call Uchitel to confirm that the allegations were all baseless. His wife was unconvinced. (laughs) On Thanksgiving night, after Woods, an insomniac, took an Ambien and fell asleep, Nordegren took his phone and scrolled for Uchitel's number. She clicked on it and found a text from her husband, quote, you are the only one I've ever loved. It was now 1 a.m. on a Friday, and Nordegren called Uchitel immediately. Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah. Okay. And before I go into that, she's described by friends and family as being, quote, an exceptionally controlled person. And she texted Uchitel as Woods, or Uchitel. I'm never going to say it right. She said, I miss you. She texted, like, Rachel from her phone pretending to be her husband. And then, and when are we seeing each other again? Of which, I'm just going to call her Rachel because I can't fucking pronounce her last name. Rachel replied immediately, expressing surprise that Woods was still up. And then Nordegren called Rachel immediately. 
I knew it was you, she said. I know everything. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Rachel said, and then hung up. Yeah. Nordegren's screaming <laughs> woke up Woods. He was woozy, but he grabbed his mobile phone and ran to the bathroom, locking himself in and texting Rachel. She knows. I'm going to be packing. He told her, it looks like divorce. Yeah. Nordegren was still screaming at Woods, demanding that he come out of the bathroom. And when she emerged minutes later, she swiped his phone, took one look at the last sent message, divorce, and exploded. She threw the phone at Woods, chipping his tooth. She pummeled his chest and scratched his face. He wrestled himself away, and Nordegren reached for the nearest weapon, a golf club, <laughs> and began chasing him. Wait, sorry, can I have a quick clarification? Sure. I don't, I don't know if you have the answer to this. So when her friends describe her as controlled, mm. do you know if that means like, like she's typically very like composed and emotionally controlled? I think that's what they were trying to establish. Not that she okay. was controlling, but that she usually has like a way better hold on okay. like her emotions. So this was very out of character. Okay, yes, I'm following. Um, but also probably also controlling because she's like yeah. what but also like i mean you're married you know the, the, yeah i mean the <laughs> punching and scratching and like chasing him with a golf club I, I don't know if that's warranted but that yeah but <laughs> woods tore out of the house barefoot even in hot pursuit their shouts waking the neighbors you've ruined our thanksgiving he yelled still running are you happy now i'm sorry he's yelling that at her yes sir <laughs> So that was that night. I thought it was really dramatic. I had to include the account. Nobody could have predicted the onslaught of porn stars, strippers, escorts, and party girls who said that they too had been having sex with Tiger. But as an increasingly astonished public learned, Woods was also really cheap, only ever buying one mistress a sandwich at Subway. At Subway? (laughs) He was making $110 million a year. And he like... $5 foot long. We can split it. You're going to eat all that bread? (laughs) By December 11th, 2009, two weeks after Woods' incident, the number of known mistresses was up to 14. He lost endorsements with Nike, Gatorade, Gillette, and um, Accutant? Accenture? Accenture. I don't know what that is. The later alone earning him between $10 million and $15 million a year. He announced he was taking a leave from golf, and on November 30th, he pulled out of the Chevron World Challenge. By the end of the month, Woods has entered rehab for sex addiction. Woods reportedly confessed to sleeping with 120 women. But sources close to Nordegren say that she remained on the fence about leaving him until April of 2010, when a 15th mistress was revealed. Her name... Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it also makes me sad and I can't pronounce it. She was the daughter of the couple next door and first met Woods when she was 14 years old. And then his wife went, nah, I'm out. Because then she's like, sex addiction, like, that was the first time I I had ever heard of the term sex addiction was because of the Tiger Woods scandal. I'm like, that's something you can get addicted to. And I think even then that was like, there were jokes made about that where it's like, what man isn't sex addicted? Like, uh, you can just claim sex addiction and you can get out of cheating on your wife? Mm -hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Yep, 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 it's me, late night television host. (laughs) It's me, Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, like, it's like we can work through it. He, like, he checked himself into rehab. I'm Uh sure she she was also, like, getting, like, called, like, "You're you're the abuser in this situation. You hit him. And she's like, I, well, (laughs) Well. but I think she's like, whatever, he's made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Uh We're rich. I'm sure we can work it through. And then some 14 year old was like, actually, and he's like, she's like, no, the divorce (laughs) imminent. 
and I think he's still golfing, but uh, he is nowhere near the amount of uh, sponsors that he once had. Yeah. And I went, hmm, wonder why. I wonder why. Hmm, crazy. Yeah, and even if it was just, four, like, 14 mistresses, I'm like, that's also a lot. But Tiger's like, no, 120 at least. And, like, usually I wouldn't believe a man when he's like, actually, I have a body count of 3,000. Because I'm like... Sure you do. But actually, Tiger would benefit from making that number smaller. Yeah. So if he's making it 120, I'm actually it's kind of inclined more. to believe him. Yeah, it's, it's probably, probably more. Probably being very generous, very conservative in his estimate. But yeah, that's all. The, that's all. That's all. That's folks. all. Wow. A lot of sex scandals, a lot of prison. Yeah. I actually didn't know a lot about the Tiger Woods situation. Like, I a lot of that is news to me. Mm-hmm. I just remember during that, when was this, 2009? Yeah. Yeah, so I was literally nine years old. I remember checking out, if anyone is from the Midwest and you know Hy-Vee. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, the the grocery chain. I I remember, like, when, whenever we would go to, like, Hy-Vee to get our groceries, they have, you know, all the tabloids and stuff, mm-hmm. like, right at the checkout. And I'm fucking fidgety and, like, nine years old. And I'm, like, reading everything. And I remember all the Tiger Woods stuff. And I, I think I probably asked my parents, being like, what is happening? Like, what what is going on? And they, of course weren't going to explain sex addiction to me at <laughs> nine years old. Um, but so, so I had a very like base knowledge of what had occurred. I just remember he cheated. It was bad. And he was a golfer. And that was it. The two like, like um, tabloids, cause that was the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, the two tabloids that I routinely remember popping up all over the place was Tiger Woods cheated on his wife and Brittany. And Brittany, true. Third one was that uh, little girl who's dead and everyone, and her mom oh, got away with it. Um, Ramsey? Yeah. N- no, not John Bonet. That was before our time. Oh, I, re- I still remember seeing all the, all the, it was on like People Magazine and shit. I know, like, but there John was a, Ramsey. there was a, an, another one where it was like, it was that same, like the girl had like her hand, like she was resting. The, like, was it the girl who went missing while the family was on vacation? No! Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, sorry. I have to find this very specific, very I sad understand. girl who's like everyone thinks her mom got away with killing her. Um, got away <laughs> with killing daughter. Casey Anthony. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I do remember. That I remember too. those those three were like I would I I was like nine years old and being like, are people cruel? Yeah. Oh my god! I remember. I I remember when Amy Winehouse died. What was that, 2010? Which is crazy. I thought Amy Winehouse died in, like, the 90s. (laughs) I, no, I remember when Amy Winehouse died. And obviously her picture was, like, all over, you know, everywhere. I literally, for the longest time, literally, literally, I thought for the lo- like for too long. I also thought that she had died in the 90s and that in 2010 they were just like bringing it back up for whatever reason yeah. because of her fucking beehive hairstyle. Yep. I was like, "Oh, that's like a famous singer from like the 60s yep. or whatever." Um yeah, and finding out no, she died in like 2010 and she was what like 20 28 or something. I think I think she was 26 cuz she's 26. a part of the, she's a part of the 27 club. Mm, yeah. Um and I found that out Oh my god, like only a couple of years ago. Same. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I think it's just 
like she was like a singer of the 50s. You hear Amy Winehouse and like as like such like a like a like a very beloved voice that I just mm-hmm. thought she'd been around for a while. When I feel like you even hear her music and like it sounds Aww. like her voice is just so like rich and like it has the sounds of something like it doesn't sound like it's like of something from like 2006, you know. Yeah, like Amy Winehouse and Kesha should not overlap. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, for like the longest time. I was like, oh, yeah, no, like, she died a long time ago. And they're like, no. I think it was, like, literally when I watched the Amy Winehouse documentary, I was like, wait, this is, like... That was me, honestly. Like, this was in 2010. I knew nothing about Michael Jackson. He died yeah. in 2009. And then I remember MTV did, the, like, this, like, a long, mean, like, uh, every video we ever have of Michael Jackson, like, and I was I remember sitting in front of, like, a TV. I think it was, like, like I was on vacation or something, mm-hmm. or, like, I was visiting someone. It, was, it wasn't my TV. And I was just staring. And I this is the first time I'd ever heard any of Michael Jackson's music outside of, like, what was occasionally on the radio. And I remember being like, yep, my new personality. And I had, like, a Michael Jackson face for, like, two years. <laughs> no! You couldn't tell me about if you if you mentioned Neverland Ranch to me, I'd like scream at you. I'd be like, "Those are unfounded <laughs> accusations." Oh no! No, well, this is gonna be another uh, feature film length podcast. Everyone, sorry about that. It's what happened. Damn, my ninety minute rule. We're breaking it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Thank you. This this was um. I mean, not a fun one. There's lots of sad things that were discussed, but also like. Um, fun things though yeah no but i i I think it was interesting to like kind of look into these scandals and being like oh so that's what happened because i do think a lot of these things like we you know like we've heard about them or like we were really young when it happened so like Mm -hmm. we don't really understand the full story so like being able to kind of like go back with like an adult's perspective Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being like um oh yeah maybe a 17 year old shouldn't be dating a 38 year old you know what else too like it's honestly like um I thought about this too when I you watched the Free Britney like documentary mm-hmm. is like for how harsh that we think that the paparazzi are and like tabloids are now to like the pop divas that we really care about it's just it's so incredibly like humbling to see how brutal and just like cruel that like celebrity gossip has yeah. been treated like even as far as like in the early 2000s like the way again like the way that they treated Winona Ryder like shoplifting like i feel like if tomorrow they're like cardi b shoplifted thousands of dollars you know what would happen probably fucking nothing she would rap about it in her next you know mm-hmm. single but the fact that winona Ryder, everyone's like god and like i don't know like just the the paparazzi and tabloids can just be so ew that it's nice to just be like you know what are are, are paparazzi getting nicer or are they just forced to because they would get backlash if they from were. their stands yeah, yeah. uh ooh. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, yes, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed. Um, if you are listening, you're probably already listening on one of these platforms. But just so you know, we are available on Spotify. Uh, I almost said podcast. We are <laughs> Again, on podcast. I did that last time too. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can see the um, video version on YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel, Point and Laugh Podcast. Um, yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye.